Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. listening. Chris Woodbridge is going to join me here in a couple minutes. And uh, I have no time to mess around this morning. So um, just a couple thoughts. Um, You know, we've all been waiting to see which version of the Taliban show up. Um, Well, if the new version (laughs) um, is to be judged, it is the same people that have been part of, you know, the Taliban uh, for decades, uh, if you look at the the government that they named um, yesterday, as they announced, if you go down the roster, um, it is the people that you would have expected the old Taliban to appoint. Um, women have been excluded. Uh, in case you had that little fantasy that, in some way, shape, or war- form, that their words about being inclusive, you know, would be matched by deeds, right? In short order, that can be dismissed. Uh, some headlines from Tolo uh, this morning. Taliban announced head of state acting ministers. Uh, interestingly enough, calls for freedom yesterday at an anti-Pakistan rally in Kabul. That's interesting. Uh, another headline. Taliban say the war is over. Massoud calls for a resistance. And again, if you know, if you read 15 minutes of Afghan history, you'll know that the Panjir Valley Right, has wrecked a lot of great military organizations. So will the Taliban be the first to pacify it? Don't bet on it. So that going on. Right. Um, and so you see a, a number of headlines there. Um, Al Jazeera headlines about Afghanistan. China welcomes new Taliban government as the West expresses concern um, that their lead headline um next next story uh afghans hold protests fearing curbs on their freedom uh next headline this is uh, this is straight up comedy right um taliban disappointed by destroyed equipment left by us forces <laughs> sorry sorry boys and girls um so anyway um, so it goes in Afghanistan. 
the um well I'm a little bit pressed for time this morning. So without further ado, Chris Woodbridge joins us right now. Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Uh, my angry music continues. Don't ask me why. Uh, joining me is Chris Woodbridge, not normally an angry person, um, but we'll see how he's doing in the uh, in the wake of what we've all watched the last few weeks in Afghanistan. So, the editor and publisher of Marine Corps Gazette, the publisher of Leatherneck Magazine, Chris Woodbridge, Colonel Type, United States Marine Corps retired, joins us. Woody, how are you? Good, Mac. Good. I'm. I'm hoping I still got some uh, some wind left after our uh, after our off air discussion. Woody and I just ripped it up for about forty five minutes. For about forty five minutes, um, and uh, I don't have the moral courage to put that one on the air. But um, the um, let me ask you your thought, just generally your thoughts. Um, the United States has suffered a strategic defeat. Um, twenty almost twenty years uh, to the day after September eleventh, two thousand and one. Um, let me get you know. What are your general thoughts? As I, uh, as I'm, I'm, again, just uh, for for everyone's uh, information, you know, little little perspective on how uh, print magazine publishing work. I just put the. Uh, October edition of the Gazette uh, to bed, and it's uh, it's heading to the printers this morning. And as I said in that uh, in that editorial, um, you know, for for everyone, and especially you know every American, and especially for all of us who've served uh, in Afghanistan and in Iraq over the last twenty years, uh, the last uh, you know couple of weeks has have been uh, personal emotional, uh, painful, uh, and, and deeply, deeply frustrating. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up with those, uh, with those, those descriptors, uh, all of the above. It's, uh, uh, it's been a, been a, been a really, uh, difficult, uh, couple of weeks. Um, no, no more difficult, uh, than for the families of the 11 Marines, the corpsmen, a special forces soldier who uh, who were killed outside Kabul Airport on the 26th of August, and the uh, the uh, tens of of grievously wounded uh, service members who are uh, mostly up in uh, in Walter Reed right now, just uh, just north of where I am, uh, and uh, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's kind of gut-wrenching to to see their numbers added to the uh, tens of thousands of uh, of wounded uh, over the last 20 years uh, many with with life-altering uh, wounds uh, all of whom have experienced things that uh, uh, you know have changed changed folks for the rest of their lives uh, and then you know the almost uh, you know over over 2400 uh, killed in action over the last 20 years 
Uh, that's just U.S. forces, not counting our allies, our NATO partners, not counting our Afghan partners, and and nowhere near scratching the surface of the Afghan civilians uh, who've lost their lives over the last 20 years, on top of over 20 years prior to that, since 1979 and the beginning of the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is uh, this has been been a difficult period, you know, difficult time, uh, and uh, and made more so uh, by the uh, the lack of uh, of historical perspective. You know, the uh, the punditry comparing and contrasting to uh, you know what occurred in in Vietnam in 1975 and uh, and, and what uh, uh, you know what 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 else is being lost in the discourse uh, because of the uh, you know intensely political nature of uh, of the discussion right now? You're, I mean, you're the custodian of uh, of a public forum, um, and you're no stranger to these discussions. Um, you and I were talking about Goldwater's Goldwater Nichols as a legislative response um, to perceived shortcomings in the American military uh, decades ago uh, in the aftermath of Vietnam. Um, give us your thoughts about, I mean, where we get to this point, uh, where we are right now, this morning, uh, escorted by the flag officers and the general officers of the United States military. Um, very few of them resigning in protest of policy decisions that have that have given us the strategic defeat of the most powerful nation on the planet with the with the greatest military on the planet, um, and I, maybe great is not the right word. The most power, the most formidable military on the on the uh, on the planet, with the funding of the American economy and the support of the American people, right? Given all of that strategically defeated. Um, how did we, in your mind, how do we get here? And do we need another version of Goldwater Nichols to somehow or other um, remedy what's being illustrated as such? We, again, to echo Vietnam, right? There wasn't a tactical fight, right, in Afghanistan that we, that we lost, right? We, got, we certainly had our nose bloodied, right, and broken more than once. But at the end of the day, where we stood, they did not. So the, the valor, the courage, the industriousness, the toughness, of the American soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is not in question. What's in question is those who lead, I would say specifically at the three-star and four-star level of the American military, have delivered this strategic defeat in conjunction with our elected leaders to the American people. And we will pay a price for this in the future. Um... So give us your thoughts on, on that, and do we need another round of Goldwater Nichols? So when you look at the, uh, 
you know, the impetus behind Goldwater Nichols. You you start with what occurred uh, in Vietnam. Uh, you start with the uh, the strategic defeat, if you will, uh, in the withdrawal of Vietnam. Um, not not perfect comparison or or uh, completely analogous to what's what's just occurred in Afghanistan, um, but but a a a major uh, military failure, if you will, um, in the end of that of that war, and a strategic policy failure led by the civilian leadership of uh, of the country. Um, then, following that, you had a period of uh, defense uh, spending cuts. Uh, throughout the uh, uh, the, the uh, mid '70s up through the late 1970s, uh, primarily in the uh, uh, in the Carter administrations, you had uh, tremendous drawdown uh, in terms of forces, but also um, uh, you know across the board defense funding cuts, uh, and and the country was in dire uh, financial situation at that time. The, the recession of the 1970s, the, uh, the oil embargo and the energy crisis of the 1970s um, uh, really played into that. Um, so the capability and capacity within the military was uh, uh, further, further undermined. Um, then you had a series of, uh, of, of three incidents uh, early in the 80s. Um, you, you start with the uh, uh, failure of the of the tier one joint joint special operations community, what we would call them now, special operations community, to uh, uh, conduct a uh, a hostage evacuation or a hostage rescue after the uh, uh, Iranian Revolution, uh, failure to uh, uh, to rescue hostages from from Iran. You had the um, Expedition to the uh, the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, Lebanon, uh, primarily, and the and the Beirut uh, barracks bombing, uh, tremendous loss of Marine and and uh, and uh, uh, Joint Force life there, uh, and the subsequent uh, modification of those operations and and withdrawal from Lebanon, uh, and then uh, you had a successful uh, operation in Grenada. Uh, but not without its its flaws and its and its loss of life due to uh, inability of the joint force, different different uh, service forces, Marine, uh, Navy special operators, Army Rangers, Army infantry, to uh, uh, to to coordinate and integrate their operations. Uh, so really, a very a very military specific uh, uh, flaw there. All those leading up to uh, a a bipartisan, clearly articulated need to restructure the command and control of the armed forces at the national level. That produced what was known as the Goldwater Nichols Act, and uh, named after after you know two two senators, different parties, uh, who championed this legislation. And among other things, what it did is establish what we know today as the Unified Command Plan, uh, established the joint command structure of the uh, uh, geographic and functional combatant commands in the world, and and uh, uh, essentially codified and 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 put boundaries on the authority of the service chiefs. 
So uh, Chief of Naval Operations, Chief of Staff of the Air Force, Chief of Staff of the Army, Commandant of the Marine Corps, Commandant of the Coast Guard, their lane became that of force provider, force generator, uh, meaning your mission is, as, as laid out in Title 10, organize, train, equip, provide, and sustain service forces for employment by the geographic and functional combatant commanders, uh, meaning U.S. CENTCOM, U.S. UCOM, U.S. AFRICOM, etc. So, so those four-star commands employ the forces provided by the uh, uh, by the service chiefs. That is the world that we live in now, and the world that we've lived in since uh, uh, the late 1980s. Has that run its course? Is there a need now, as we look at um, uh, this, not just this isolated uh, latest chapter in our, our war in, uh, in Afghanistan, and, and I deliberately don't say the final or last chapter because I don't believe it's over, um, uh, does this point to a need for a, a new or a modified uh, uh, Goldwater Nichols? Uh, interestingly enough, um, approximately 12 to 15 years ago, there was another outcry for a need for a new Goldwater Nichols. Um, and it really had to do with uh, the, the cross-combatant command coordination required in the what was then called the, the Global War on Terrorism. Um, and so... Uh, if you think of the geographic combatant commands as maneuver elements, there really is no military or operational common higher headquarters across those those maneuver elements. And so, if if the um, if the theater special operations command and intelligence architecture of U.S. Pacific Command positively identifies a uh, a dirty bomb in a container on a ship leaving Singapore. And that ship transits into CENTCOM's area of responsibility. There is no common higher headquarters facilitating the battle handover of what happens to that potential target. Uh, and so those sorts of dilemmas were were initially a uh, uh, a call or caused a call for a new Goldwater Nichols to look at some higher level command structure across the geographic combatant commands. Um, it went nowhere. It went nowhere in, in many ways because there was uh, uh, no perceived need or it wasn't urgent enough. Um, the problem that we've just encountered or, the, or that we've, you know, we've all lived through this, this situation um, would not have been fixed by that sort of change. So, I think I think the real issues are what what change in the system really needs to happen uh, to try to uh, prevent or mitigate this sort of, uh, of of strategic failure from occurring again in the future. Um, so, and then, so let me ask you. So, define the problem for me. What's the problem? So, I think I think the problem is. Uh, uh, is twofold. Um, first, civilian control of the military is 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 you know, well established as the way we we function as a uh, as a democracy. Um, the civilian leadership, both elected and appointed, is responsible for the policy level 
you know, war policy decisions. Got it. Got um, it. There is an expectation that uh, those decisions are informed by the best military advice at the strategic operational level of the most senior military commanders, both the geographic combatant commanders and, and their uh, major subordinate commands and their staffs and the Joint Chiefs and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the the uh, uh, service chief level input. Okay. Um, uh, and so I think what we've what we've encountered here, first and foremost, is a uh, uh, an inability or unwillingness to send and receive that best military advice. And I believe that that is a um, a function of a system that essentially subordinates and ties the hands of senior military leadership um, and the and the tool used to do that are their budgets. Um, that the way our services are resourced uh, forces the senior military leadership to, uh, my, my words, my words, uh, adopt a um, conciliatory or uh, in plain English, a, a very uh, kind of go along to get along uh, uh, attitude about disagreement with the policy level. But that's at the service chief level that you're managing a budget. What about all? What about everybody else? What, what about the what about the what about the cocoms and all the other people that wear stars that don't have that responsibility? But but they do have budgets. They do not. They do not purely live off of the services budgets. They they do to a degree, but they all have their own. They all have their own operational funding. Okay, as well. so 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 let me let me so let me make this the the stick more important. So because I have a budget, right, that overrides my moral obligation, right? To 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 if I hear speak truth to power one more time, I swear to God, I'm going to vomit <laughs> all over myself. Right? It is the most most used phrase. But how do we wind up in a situation where, right? the most powerful economic um, engine on, on the world with the most formidable military on the world for 20 years with the support of its population fails, right? And, and, and what part of that failure do these people that wear three and four stars own? And it cannot be explained away by saying, oh, well, I have a budget that I need to protect. And then you walk out and then you lecture young Marines about their conduct on the battlefield, and then you go back in and you further escort us down this path of strategic failure. Where's the, where is it? Where is it broken? Other than they protect their budgets. I, I don't believe that's the only factor. Okay. Um, I also, again, looking looking into the specifics of this situation, I think that there. Um, and I don't, I don't quite know how to articulate this, but it's, it's, um, what are the, what are the priorities? So if the, if the uh, civilian leadership, the strategic policy level of leadership, um, in uh, at the national, at the national level and at the department level, um, if that, if that priority is, um, we need to make this happen on a timeline. We need to make it happen fast, and it's okay if it happens ugly. If, if that's the priority, 
um, the best military advice from the theater, from the you know the combatant commander, from the service chiefs based on the employment of their forces and those capabilities is okay. If if you if you want it ugly, this is how ugly it's going to get. Um, recognize that at that level, the um, probably the most critical questions asked during planning and decision making are around assumptions. So whenever whenever a plan at that level, actually whenever any plan is developed, um, what assumptions you make, why you make them, and what you do to validate or invalidate those assumptions is, is really the, the heart of decision-making in, in planning. You know, okay, Woody, words, Woody, but again, you, this is not, on, this is hang not, on, hang on, this is hang not on. about planning, though, Woody. This is what, about what, having what, the, is when for 20 years for, for, for counterinsurgency, for, for counterterrorism, all the different shades that we painted over there and, and escorted there by every three and four star that went over there, some of them who we're, we're very familiar with, right? And, and we're, de- and we're defeated. At some point, when when do they have the courage? And bear in mind, Mac, I'm not I'm not defending. It sounds anybody. like you are. No, I'm not defending anything or anybody. The point is, so first and foremost, first and foremost, let's uh, can we can we at least stipulate that professional officers are not evil people? Okay, that they're regardless of the rank, they're going to do what they believe is best or at least acceptable that they're not going to deliberately do something that they know is going to cost lives and create create defeat all right so if if they thought if if we can stipulate that that they are my words acting in good faith all right and are professional human beings (laughs) um because if that's not the case, then we have a whole other problem. Is it, well, but, let me ask you this. So is, is it, so let me just ask let's you this about that. Is it possible so the, to do that and be a moral coward? Back, back that up one more time. Is it possible to do what and be a moral coward? Is it possible that, that I'll render my good advice and be a professional with limits? So again, I think I think the key is what is the best military advice based on? If you, if you if you stipulate that the individual person involved, the individual officer, is giving what they believe to be their best military advice, and they would not willingly waste lives, sacrifice effort. Okay, so that that that's based on information, facts, and assumptions. Right. When you find yourself in a position after the fact, 2020 hindsight, going, what were you thinking? Then you have to really look at, okay, what, what were you thinking? What drove, what informed that decision? And, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. For 20 years, I believe that both on the military side and throughout the intelligence community, we have been, in essence, lying to ourselves about the effectiveness of our operations in Afghanistan in achieving what have been very uh, uh, fungible, ill-defined strategic goals. 
And so if I'll I'll give, hold on, hold on, but, and, but put myself me, in that position. If, so if, let me, but let me just say, miracle, all given, all given as best, best advice, right? If I accept yes. your, all, all given as best advice. That's right. You know, based, based on what I know and these assumptions, this is the best advice I can give you on what the, 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 the best least risk course of action is. Do it deliberately, take this time, work this sequence, and it's going to take you this long. Or you can do it this fast, get it done quickly. It's going to be ugly, and here's how ugly it's going to be. But based on these these data points, this information and these assumptions, that picture of how ugly it's going to be turned out not to be accurate. So okay, so why, so why, why did why so here's my next those facts and assumptions was so wrong. Okay, so here's my next question for you. I don't recall hearing that discussion in public. No, no, why? certainly not. And and I guess part of the question there is, does it on the on the front end, prior to and during execution, does it belong in public? I I, I don't think it does. Now it'll it'll wind up in public in one form. Uh, as as a, a testimony, as evidence presented during investigations, as further uh, uh, legislation going on that could, in fact, lead up to some uh, change to uh, to Title Ten, change to the uh, 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 the Goldwater Nichols Act, etc. Um, but on the front end, I don't know that that belongs in in public. Okay, when I, I when when? Honestly, okay, so, so let me ask you this: When does it belong in public? Should it be before you're strategically defeated? Do you think it should be? It should have been brought to the public. So do we? Do we want to try to have some form of national referendums um, every time we uh, start a military operation or terminate a military operation? Um, of course not. But I think maybe we should consider one before we're strategically defeated. So I don't know that anyone. Again, going back to the, and this is why I say, uh, you know, the p- planning is important. Um, I don't think anyone used the terms or planned towards a strategic defeat. Why that was not uh, uh, well understood uh, at at the highest levels of, of of political military or political strategic and and military command is uh, uh, is is highly questionable. Um, but yeah, you, you had two Vietnam veterans. One was a chairman, and one is as CENTCOM, right? And you didn't have Phase Four defined for either Iraq or Afghanistan, and they were okay with that. Nobody said shit. They just they they did their thing. They left and became millionaires. I, I, and so, to me, um, I, again, it sounds like you're explaining this thing, this strategic defeat, and everybody gave best advice. And we're defeated as a nation. Where, where then, is there no problem, Woody? Oh no, there's clearly a problem, right? But but we have to look at the problem. Uh, we, we, I think the I think the greatest task is to really frame the problem. Okay, what is For, the problem? What's the problem then? Is it is it the structure? of the, the, the unified command plan? Is it the way uh, uh, forces are, uh, are, are employed throughout, throughout the planet? Um, is it 
is it the way military forces are sent to war without it being called a war? Uh, in, our, in our democracy, who has the authority to declare war? That's a question. Congress has the authority to declare war. No one else. What has been going on for the last 20 plus years is uh, in some case, it, I, I would call it uh, certainly, you know, no congressional declaration has ever been issued. Uh, we have been using what is called the uh, uh, rules for the use of military force, uh, a, a legislative uh, end run around our own constitution uh, and and a legal backdoor uh, that allows the executive branch, the executive branch to employ military forces without the, the advice and consent of Congress, right? And so something about that may need to change as well. Okay, but we don't, we don't, we don't really concern ourselves with all of that here. What about, what did the uniform, did, so let me ask you a question. I'm not. I'm not sure that you believe that the people that wear uniforms failed at all here by the things that you've said. Do you believe they failed? Oh, I think. I think there were failures. I think individuals failed, and I think they failed in some specific uh, uh, actions. Um, I have, you know, I have no doubt uh, that at some level of operational or joint planning, uh, you know. Majors, colonels, brigadier generals, uh, you know, indicated in the sequencing of an operation that the last thing that we need to do is uh, is is fold up uh, uh, the capabilities of uh, Bagram Air Base. Um, but at some point in that planning, uh, there was a failure to articulate the consequences of not doing that in a worst case scenario. I think that at various levels of the command, the individuals failed to actually acknowledge and recognize what the worst case scenario really could be. Uh, so call that uh, uh, wishful thinking, uh, call that um, uh, bowing to pressures of a timeline uh, established, uh, you know, above the military command level, um, you know, call it, uh, call it the ham sandwich mode of uh, of command and control, you know, top man says he wants a ham sandwich. He's getting a ham sandwich. You know, it's not our job to to question that. So that that uh, what I'll call lack of uh, lack of integrity, if you will, lack of uh, moral moral courage, perhaps. Um, I think it it exists uh, at multiple levels um, across several services and in the department. Uh, so again, you know, with 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 2020 hindsight in full effect right now, and with our, uh, 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 you know, the, the bipolar disorder, bipartisan bipolar disorder of our, our political body right now, um, I, I don't think we are in a position where uh, the, the type of uh, uh, bipartisan legislation that Goldwater Nichols represents is really even a possibility anymore. Doesn't bode well for the future, so we're going to get more of the same 
Strate- well, strategic so thought, voting, strategic voting vote. well for the future is, a, is in, you know, so remember that thanks to, uh, you know, just the, uh, the plain old 24-hour news cycle, let alone uh, social media and the Internet, the whole world has been watching this. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the fact is there are at least four other adversaries out there um, uh, that that have been watching this and are are going to allow, allow it. It will inform their decisions, their strategic and policy decisions uh, going forward. Um, it also sends uh, messages to our allies uh, that are that are really really damaging. Um, interesting. I was uh, I was in a position over the last uh, week or so where the only the only news I had access to was the BBC and uh, uh, the BBC uh, covering this uh, this uh, you know these last couple weeks of of, of history really um, very interesting uh, parliamentary questioning of the British foreign minister. Uh, and essentially, you know, the questions of, well, you know, why did, why did we leave when the Americans left? Why didn't we, as the United Kingdom, as a global power, uh, use our influence uh, and our capabilities to uh, stay the course with, with a new alliance, uh, with a new coalition? Uh, so that that's the thinking over there, and this is amongst our this is our closest ally of looking at, well, you know, if 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 the Americans do something uh, uh, strategically uh, uh, foolish, and uh, and their political policy won't permit them to do uh, what what makes sense, well, why don't we just take charge? Is uh, is sort of the view from one of our one of our allies. And the foreign minister had to, you know, very delicately say that, uh, well, without the capabilities that the Americans had established in Afghanistan, we couldn't operate. Uh, so, so they're going to do some uh, some soul searching uh, here over the next uh, months or, or years, and uh, they're they're unfortunately, I think, going to further recognize uh, uh, the limits of their global power. So. Uh, but but all of that coming into play does not bode well for the future. Got it. Let's talk about this month's Gazette. Uh, what are you writing about? So the September Gazette, interestingly enough, uh, the um, uh, the overall focus area uh, is on the Marine Corps Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance Enterprise. So at a very at a very uh, tactical tactical to operational level. Um, again, what sort of uh, uh, information is analyzed, processed into intelligence across multiple disciplines, uh, imagery, human intelligence, signals intelligence, etc.? How is that processed and turned into the information that informs the facts and assumptions of plans like we were just talking about? Um, and so it's, it's the Marine Corps' piece of uh, of that world that uh, uh, touches both the uh, you know the traditional domains of warfare, but also uh, a a heavy uh, uh, number of articles talking about the the role of intelligence in uh, the information environment to include to include cyberspace uh, and uh, you know some some recommended changes there to how 
uh, how we uh, train and equip and and uh, and assign uh, uh, our intelligence professionals. Uh, and again, looking at it in a historical perspective, it's it's uh, it's very interesting that you know you and I will both remember that even 20 years ago, uh, marine intelligence was a was a joke. That was an that was the punchline of a joke. Uh, it was considered an uh, an oxymoron. You know, marine intelligence is. Uh, you know, is, uh, is like, uh, you know, fat-free butter. So um, there's, a, uh, there's a real change that you see just in the professionalism and the character of marine intelligence as part of that uh, joint and national intelligence community. Um, so uh, this is not unrelated to what we've, uh, what we've been discussing, that, that, you know, this is where, this is where the story starts in many ways. Um, how that that information, that raw raw collections across these different domains of of, uh, of uh, operations, get analyzed, processed, and then how that information now that knowledge informs uh, decisions going forward. Um, so it's a uh, uh, again, it's about a little less than half of uh, of the magazine. Um, we have uh, articles on aviation for the first time. Uh, in uh, really in the history of Gazette, we've got a, a group of articles about space operations um, and not just what, you know, what Marines, uh, uh, you know, are, are involved in as far as space capabilities, but in, in many cases, how dependent on space-based capabilities all of our operations in the other domains are. Um, so we, uh, we actually partnered with uh, Marine Corps University and the and the Brute Krulak Center on uh, on that uh, uh, publishing this this group of essays from one of their uh, one of their efforts, and then the last thing I'll I'll highlight in uh, in September's magazine, and I'm I'm sure you've uh, you've touched on this already. So September is uh, is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month, yeah. and uh, and for the first time uh, have a, a group of articles uh, submitted by uh, uh, enlisted Marines by staff NCOs. Uh, by uh, a group of, of Navy and Marine officers, and and by a chaplain that look at um, that look at different aspects of uh, the suicide and uh, prevention and and resilience problem uh, within the Marine Corps specifically. Uh, and I point out that this is this is uh, in terms of the articles that I've received. This is this is the tip of the iceberg. There are more available online, and I've actually got another. Uh, uh, another salvo, if you will, another batch of uh, of articles that'll be appearing in the uh, in the October magazine as a as a follow on to this. Um, so, again, as as you're as you're uh, uh, deeply deeply aware and involved in, uh, this is a uh, an ongoing problem. And I would I would submit that again, it's it's not unrelated to what we've been talking about uh, up to this point. Um, again, when. When uh, when veterans, when uh, when serving serving military members and their families start questioning the uh, the value of the sacrifices that they've made, um, that does not create a, uh, 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 a a a healthy emotional environment, a healthy psych- you know, a, a behavioral environment. So uh, I encourage everybody to to read those. And again, it's. Uh, it's a diverse group of authors there, um, talking, looking at it in, uh, in, uh, in, from very different perspectives. Got it. The, um, 
And that's online now, and that is uh, it's online. And, uh, and September should be in uh, most everybody's uh, arriving in, in their mailboxes there this uh, this week. Got it. Um, would you do a series on Afghanistan at all, and how you know looking at how we were strategically defeated? I would. I would. I would absolutely publish uh, a series like that. I'm. I'm. Frankly, I. Uh, I'm anticipating. Uh, a lot of that uh, happening organically. Um, I've already received a, a, a few articles um, looking at the history of of our our operations in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, from from the inception until now, uh, kind of a historical look. Um, but uh, yeah, depending on uh, uh, the uh, the volume of uh, of content that comes in. I absolutely look at publishing that. First of all, thank you for your time today. And uh, I want to wish you all the best. Um, The Gazette will play an important role in this debate um, after a strategic defeat. Uh, And again, uh, Grant Newsham kind of framed it for me. Uh, The most formidable military on the planet with essentially a, 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 a huge budget, 20 years in the support of its population. Um, is strategically defeated uh, makes it all the worse when you kind of broaden the lens and look at it from a macro perspective. How does it happen? And so you're going to be an important guy. So I want to wish you all the best of luck to that uh, with that, Woody. And thank you very much for doing this this morning. Mac, you bet. Any uh, any time. Look forward to the next one. All right, bud. Thank you. You bet. That'll do it. On this Wednesday hump day. Thanks for listening. If you're not a subscriber to the Gazette, you should be. You can also view it online, so you don't have to take the paper magazine. You can get a digital subscription. Yeah, look it up. Marine Corps Gazette. That is Chris Woodbridge, Colonel, United States Marine Corps, retired editor and publisher of the aforementioned magazine. That'll do it. Uh, Thank you very much for listening today. Uh, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. Just a reminder, don't be afraid to check on whether it's Vietnam veterans you know, Afghan Iraq veterans you know. Hey man, how you doing? And, um, I've, ta- I've spoken to a number of Vietnam veterans who are um, struggling by, you know, what they've watched and how frustrating. And here's a quote from a couple of them. I thought that one of the good things that came out of Vietnam was that we learned the lessons of Vietnam. And we clearly didn't. So on that note, don't be afraid to stick your hand out and help somebody. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. I'm out.